0: I'm excited to introduce our guest for today, Lawrence Fix the Money, Fix the World. He's an investment manager at Equity Management Associates, a sound money advocate. We've had you on the show once before. Thank you so much for coming and joining us again.
1: Thanks. Welcome. Thanks for having me back. It's nice to be with you. What
0: did I miss when introducing you? I feel like there are so many. Not
1: at all. There's not much else. (laughs) Um, uh, You forgot the part about where I'm I'm the gold guy who's trying to orange pill uh, gold bugs.
0: And, and that is how you sort of came into the Bitcoin space. I mean, you were pretty much all in on gold, not to sort of recap or rehash that last conversation, but just very quickly, let's do it like this. What, what would your pitch be right now to Peter Schiff as to why he needs to at least get some, some-
1: I'm not sure where Peter's hung up on this whole thing. I think it's his ego that's got him hung up, but and maybe he's just committed to his existing business. He doesn't want to change. But a lot of gold bugs, what happens is they, they can't get over the fact that it's not physical. You know, they're kind of locked into a commodity money. And the notion of a ledger kind of escapes them. And the value of an immutable ledger is not something they fully understand. And so I start there and just say, look, before we even had gold, before, you know, we dug gold out of the ground, people kept score on caves. You know, I killed two bison, you killed one, you owe me one, blah, blah, blah. So an immutable ledger that can't be changed, that's accurate and verifiable through thousands of nodes is is in a sense, we've created something very, very unique, which is the huge... you know the huge invention of Bitcoin, which is it's it's we created digital scarcity, verifiable, secure digital scarcity, and therefore as a result of that, and then capping the amount of these things at 21 million, you know you've in a sense created a, a digital form of gold, a digital gold ledger. So they they compete with one another, and what Peter's missing is that you know Bitcoin's enjoying two two curves. I mean, gold has got a huge Lindy effect; it's fully distributed, everybody knows what it is, but around 5,000 years. That's the advantage it's got, obviously that. You know, you don't have to tell anybody that gold is money. Everyone knows gold is money. Bitcoin is on an adoption curve. I mean, it is sound money and as sound as gold right now. When the next halving occurs, it'll be sounder because the stock to flow will drop. But the issue really becomes, you know, right now, probably a couple hundred million people understand it. There's 7 billion people on the planet and only 21 million coins. And as everyone comes to understand the values of these monetary properties that these coins have, you know, there's going to be an adoption curve. And so with a fixed supply and continually growing demand, you can tell what's going to happen to the price. And and so that makes it, you know, and that's why it's outperformed gold since it was introduced. And it's going to continue to outperform gold. Now it's going to be more volatile. And, you know, 80-year-olds, you know, shouldn't be putting 100% of their money in Bitcoin because 80-year-olds don't like having 50% drawdowns. But everybody should own some Bitcoin. I always say that you know, the only wrong answer is zero. You know, if, if you've got a one, a two, a five, a 10, I mean, I have a pretty high, high allocation to it because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm risk prone or I, I'm very comfortable with the risk, but you know, you need, you need to own some of it. So, and, and I'm not quite sure why Peter can't get over it. I mean, it's funny. His son gets it right.
0: <laughs> Do you think <laughs> this one, it just feels like a bit. Yeah. I mean, it feels like it's, it's part of his brand, right? Like that, that might be right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he has to maintain this frame even though I mean I suspect separate from his son that he is actively invested in Bitcoin, but his entire enterprise is based on the idea that you know he's painted himself into a corner. And I think that the Maybe that I'm, made- I'm not
1: so sure of that though. I, mean, I I've met him and I know him pretty well. I, I you know, I read him as a pretty arrogant guy and so I, I think he might believe his own bullshit, you know.
0: He's so deep in, so deep in the lie that he doesn't know what's yeah. fact or fiction.
1: Yeah, and I found that I found that kind of universal in trying to orange pill people. The people who are the most arrogant seem to be the slowest to get it. You know, you kind of have to be open-minded to it as a possibility. And, and the more humble you are, the more likely you are to understand that, oh, yeah, things are changing and this is a difference and it's, it's got a value and therefore I understand it. A lot of people, some people are just plain afraid of it. And I get that too. I mean, look, when, when Dogecoin and all the other, you know, shit coins were doing all that stuff, you know, you basically had, you know, every sound money guy in the world going, you know, how can a digital asset be sound money? Look at this crap. And, you know, and they're right. I mean, it's the shit coins. It really annoys me the way the shit coins have cast a poor light on the one thing that really is a true technical innovation is not a shit coin. And so it's, you know, to me, there's Bitcoin and then there's all of the crypto and all of the crypto is, you know, kind of a speculative mania. Bitcoin is actually you know real signal and, and a real technical development that's going to be extremely important in my opinion so
0: I'd love to you know get your thoughts on what is strangely become the most looked forward most anticipated fed meeting in, in my lifetime possibly in your lifetime we will be Chris will send us an update in about just over 30 minutes when the minutes are released and we actually see the official call on what the rate hike is going to be. I don't want to spend time speculating. I'd rather just get your thoughts on how the Fed has been handling you know, the economy for some time and what your expectations are on how you're preparing for the immediate and near-term future, I would say sure. the next 18 months.
1: Yeah, good questions. I mean, Look, the Fed's an unmitigated disaster, right? I mean, it's a, it's a money cartel. You know, their only job really is to look after the, their owners, which are the banks and Wall Streeters. And, you know, they, they run this boom-bust cycle and, you know, they, you know, I mean, it's unclear. I mean, I, there's, we know what they do and it's unclear what their motives are. I mean, some say they know exactly what they're doing and they're quite evil. Others say they're stupid. Uh, and they don't really know what they're doing. I, you know, I, I'm I'm between those two camps. somewhere. I think there's a certain element of stupidity. I mean, Jay Powell's a lawyer. I don't think he really is, understands or has studied economics or markets. So I think he he's kind of coming at this with a very simplistic point of view. But having said that, he also is a political animal and he's doing what he has to do in light of the circumstances. And so, you know, he thinks he can do it. He can become another Paul Volcker, which is ridiculous. He can't. And so... You know as i've said in the past what i see them doing is they're kind of driving this clown car between the two guardrails i mean when you when you've got a credit expansion similar to the one we just had when you had as much easy money as we just had i mean you know zero, zero interest rate policy from 2009 to 2015 or 16 was just a, an enormous crime and led to enormous misallocation of resources and created what we now all call the everything bubble and the everything bubble has burst and so, you know, there's, you can't really put the genie back in the bottle. When a bubble bursts, it's going to collapse all the way to the base. And, you know, and, and by the way, what they're doing right now is helping speed up that collapse. So, you know, I'm not sure, again, if it's stupidity or it's intention. I mean, one could argue that their intention is to speed it up, have everything collapse, then reset with a CBDC or, you know, rich people get buy all the assets for 10 cents on the dollar. I'm not quite sure. But, but the point is that, you know, if they continue the policy, they're going to continue, the stock market's going to implode. I actually think the stock market's going to probably implode either way. One thing that everyone's missing is that, you know, you can't have a bubble of the proportions that we had, which I don't think anyone would disagree that we were in a bubble and everything bubbled based on free money. And you can't break that bubble, which was clearly broken, right? There's no going back. You know, crypto is the leading edge. You could see all that implode, but it's it's flowing through to everything now, including, you know, small countries like Sri Lanka not small but you know periphery countries like sri lanka and you know when you ha- when a bubble bursts you know it's going to take it's going to you're going to go from massively overvalued to fair valued or undervalued i mean in the case of the 08 bubble or the 2000 bubble the stock, s&p went down 50% in both cases right now the s&p is down roughly between 15 and 20% It needs to go a lot lower and it's going to go a lot lower probably soon. You know, my prediction on today is that he's actually going to shock the market, go 100 and be a tough guy because that's in type with what he's been doing recently. And he wants to make the point and try and get inflation under control. And there's there's also a national security aspect to it. I mean, they're hoping that doing this can really kill enough demand to get oil prices down so that Putin makes less money selling his oil. And of course, you know, so there's this whole geopolitical ramification. I think their view is, well, if we've got to have some unemployment and sacrifice all the speculators and stock market people so be it you know Powell's rich and it's like well whatever so it's it's a it's a really really screwed up system and sadly we're all forced to live with it and we're forced to you know it's like i was going to tweet this morning like it's it's like watching the you know the you know the when they change popes and you know we expect to see the different color smoke come out of the chimney of the vatican i mean and that, that's what this is like. I mean, uh, our our grandkids are going to say, "What you know, you guys let the you let the entire world economy blow up because you had, you know, the most important price in the world, which is the cost of money, set by a committee that was, you know, run by a banker cartel and the government. What the fuck were you thinking? I mean, <laughs> you know, that's like the that's like the dumbest idea since forever. And you know, so so that I mean, that's. That's that's coming, you know, but but sadly we got to get through this, right? I
0: love that analogy of you know, we're just waiting for the smoke to come out of the chimney for a new right. poke. Larry, I, I wanna I wanna unpack something you said where if Powell actually does follow through and keep going at the rate he's going, that being raising rates and continuing to try to crater the stock market and potentially the broader economy with rising unemployment. His other option would be to reverse course and reintroduce liquidity into the market. But would that not also just have the same effect? And if so, which one do you think? Now we're going to speculate a little bit. Which one do you think would in turn cause the collapse of the dollar quicker?
1: Boy, I don't know. I mean, it's again, it's very, very hard to know which, you know. We're in this period of incredible volatility. You know, everyone's seen the murmican chart on Twitter. I mean, you know, when, when when monetary systems blow up, you know, it's it's like look out because there's just there's a lot of volatility in both directions. And so, if he continues down the path, he's continuing down. The market's going to look like 1929. I mean, we're going to have an out and out credit collapse. It's going there's going to be contagion, and you know, one guy can't pay his debts, so you know person who wants those debts loses money and you get laid off. I mean, it's just, it's going to be a spiral. It's going to look like 1929. And nobody was alive during 29. My grandparents were alive. And I heard a lot of stories from them. And, you know, the fact of the matter is, I mean, there were houses, I mean, houses that were selling for $40,000, like the one my grandfather bought, you know, in 1928, were selling for 7,000 in 1933. You know, I mean, and, and, you know, people felt lucky to have a job. They felt lucky to have any kind of income. You know, they, they were all, you know, living on just you know, reduced ration, rations, so to speak. If you read history of the depression, I mean, parts of the country where, you know, people would have starved if they hadn't been able to shoot small animals. You know? I mean, it was really pretty damn bad. And so, you know, that, you know, that's where we're headed. If he continues to blow up the system the way he's blowing it up, I don't think he will continue all the way through. I think eventually when the bond market goes, which it will, he will be forced at that point to pivot and support it. And, you know, this next particular pivot will lead to a much larger amount of money. I mean, one thing, you know, Preston Pitch said this I think it's a really brilliant analogy. He said, the contractions are getting closer and we've all, well, not all of us, but I've, I've been around when my wife gave birth. And, you know, as the contractions get closer, you're closer to having a baby. And so, you know, in 2000, we had a contraction and 2008, we had another one. And, 2020, we had one. And, and now I think we're about to have another one. And things are getting, you know, things are getting closer. And you see, you know, the parabolas of a lot of these lines. I mean, you know, prices in a lot of areas are already starting to, to touch on the edge of a hyperinflationary environment. So things are, things are happening. Things are blowing up. And as to which makes the dollar fail faster, you know, the, I've always said, and I really strongly believe this, the dollar is going to fail When a majority of the people realize that you can't trust the Federal Reserve to control the printing of money and that they're trapped and that they will always go to the default condition of printing more money. And when they do that, everyone who has any savings, and that's not everybody because a lot of people are just net in debt, but anybody who has any savings will, under a Gresham's law-like scenario, recognize that they have to put their savings into something that cannot be debased. And that's not the dollar. And the three leading candidates are Bitcoin, gold, and silver. But real estate qualifies because you can't print real estate and food and commodities and even cars. I mean, things qualify. And, you know, those, that's all part of a crack-up boom. If everyone starts just spending their money the minute they get it, you know, that creates more inflation, more demand. And it's a crack-up boom. So it, it's, it's a just I've never seen anything like it. And I, I can't believe they, they ran it this way. I can't believe they let it get this far. And I can't believe how ugly it's about to get and how few people fully understand how ugly it's about to get. And whether that is in the form of massive deflation or massive inflation or both. I mean, I think there's a chance that everything you own will deflate in price because nobody will have the money or the credit to buy it. You know, banks, mortgage rates will be higher. Banks won't be able to make loans. They won't want to make loans. They'll be afraid of the risk, et cetera. So, you know, your house, your boat, your car, whatever... The stuff you own will be going down in value, but all the stuff you need to live, the food and the gasoline, the heating, you know, et cetera, that'll all be going up in price because, I mean, the thing that the Fed doesn't realize is that this wrecking ball policy of you know, swerve one way, swerve the other way. I mean, you're destroying demand. You're, you're destroying businesses. I mean, how do, how do businesses exist? I mean, we already know there are a lot less restaurants because like a lot of them got wiped out when we had COVID, right? And so, you know, it, it's, I mean, if you're a business person in this environment it is extremely tough to know what to do I mean home builders six months ago couldn't get workers couldn't get lumber couldn't get anything we we're having a hard time getting houses built and they didn't know where they should start the next project you know recently they, there was a big Twitter thread that showed that they're all like hey who turned out the lights you know we, you know we, we got no demand you know we got plenty of workers we got all kinds of and, and you know, and I I mean, I, it's very simple. What happened, right? Thirty-year mortgages went from three percent to six percent, almost six percent. So it, it's it's just an incredibly effed up system, incredibly effed up. And so, as investors and participants and so on, I mean, you know, what we've got to do is, you know, you've got to make sure you got a job that you think is going to be around, you know, even in a downturn. So the more essential your job is, the better off you are. And then you got to make sure that you're not levered because you you know. If, if, Especially with respect to sound assets, because if you've got hard assets, but you're levered and they go against you, you can get carried out. And I've seen that happen. I mean, I, all the people who are following the plan B nonsense, you know, they levered up their Bitcoin thinking it was going to 150 and they got blown out. You know, that's really sad, right? I mean, it's so, you know, I, which makes the dollar fail faster? I don't know. And, and, and one thing is for sure. I mean, I did something with Brent, Santiago, uh, Brent um, um, I forget his last name, but I did something with Brent, you know, San Diego Capital. Front Johnson yesterday, and you know how fast this thing fails. I don't know. I mean, it, it, you know, it should it should have failed years ago. I can't imagine they're going to keep it long alive for more than a few more years. But they've got a lot of tricks up their sleeve, and they'll they'll try and use them. I mean, I've seen they'll they'll do whatever they can. I mean, they've got a lot of privilege. They've got a big system, and they've they've got a lot of wealth tied up in it. And so they're going to do everything they can to try and tilt the table in their favor. I mean, Roosevelt did it with confiscating gold and and they'll they'll do similar things. I mean I can see I can see bad stuff coming as times get worse. But I also know that, you know, if we hodl sound assets on the other side of all this, these sound assets I think will be the things I think we'll be very glad we did it. And we've got the best chance of getting through this with our wealth intact or or and possibly even really growing your wealth. I mean, if you actually look at the depression, you know, there were a lot of great fortunes made out of the depression. I mean, if you if you had you know if you had cash or you had the ability to buy assets cheap, you know there were people who got rich, and and the same will happen this time. But you know it's going to be tough. There's no doubt about that.
0: There there are a few different directions we can go from here, but <laughs> sure. I kind of I would love if you could actually for like I have, I've spent negative amount of time understanding bonds. I'm I'm more of an equity guy. Right. I understand the importance of them. So when you said earlier about how the bond market may force Powell's hand, what what are you looking for in the bond market? Is there a certain level you want to see yields get to or are expecting to before Powell pivots or what does that state
1: mean? Great question. And it's, it's really important. I don't think enough people focus on the bond market. Greg Foss talks about this a lot. I mean, bonds are actually more important in some ways than the equities. They're smarter and they lead it. So here's the deal. I mean, the, the 10 year is in the 29, 2.95 or 3% area when inflation's last print was, you know, 9.1. So that's an enormously terrible deal to own a 10-year bond, right? You you know, and, and one could argue the 9-1's understated, but whatever. The bonds suck. Right? And yet there's a certain, you know, category, certain number of or certain investors out there need to buy bonds, insurance companies, others need to buy bonds, and and of course they do, but as as it becomes more and more apparent that buying a bond is a bad deal, that you're going to get paid, repaid the principal because the government can always print the money to pay you back the principal. The question is, what's that money going to buy? And so as that becomes more and more obvious, I believe the Fed will actually, quote unquote, lose the bond market. And by the way, they kind of did. In March of 2020, You know, when we had the COVID crisis, before Paul came in with his Draghi-like imitation where he said, we're going to do whatever it takes to keep the economy and the system going. The bond market went no bid for a while. And they even commented on the Fed minutes It said, you know, there were, you know, concerns that there were no bidders for the bonds. There was, there was really effectively no market. Well, guess what? I mean, the U.S. government needs to have the bond market function. Without the bond market functioning, U.S. government can't, you know, it, it, it's just, it doesn't exist and, and no one will get paid and, and, you know, no money can be printed. None of it. it the whole thing the whole thing collapses. I mean, this kind of is the 2008, you know, where, where they said the ATMs won't work if we don't, if we don't keep the markets stable. And so what could eventually happen, I believe will eventually happen. It goes back to what I said earlier about Gresham's law. Enough people come to see that, you know what, these bonds are a bad deal. I'm not buying them anymore. And you've already seen that foreigners were net buyers of bonds all the way up to 2014. And that shifted at the end of 2014. And so now the foreigners have not been net buyers of bonds. In fact, they're net sellers. Russia's taking those down, you know, in Japan, because they're having their own troubles, they're having to sell them. China has been letting theirs run off, etc. cetera. So if the U.S. bond market goes no bid or goes closer to no bid, and the only buyer for U.S. bonds is the Fed, well, that's kind of, you know, emerging country, Banana Republic, you know, Argentina, Venezuela, Zimbabwe sort of stuff. I mean, if we are printing... Uh, money to make our interest payments and to make our bond payments. And it's very obvious that we're doing so. And it's it's relatively obvious we're doing that to a degree now, although it that waxes and wanes. And they have a lot of ways of disguising it. I mean, as they say, and you know, they claim they're not printing money, but they create reserves for the banks and the banks effectively lend against it. And so that really is growing the money supply and creating money. I mean, there are a lot of peas and shells here. They move around and try and confuse us all. But But the bottom line is, that what they're trying to do is keep everyone from realizing the bond market's in trouble. And as the bond market gets in trouble, and you ask the question, how high could rates go? Well, rates at 3% are somewhat problematic, but if you consider that our debt is $30 trillion at the government level, approaching 31, and you take them to, say, four, five, six, I mean, so 5, to, let's take 5 as a, as a reasonable number, because I think it's a long-term average, that, you know, 10 years been around there. So 5 times, so that's a trillion five in interest payments alone. As against last year, they were like 660 or something. So, so that would add another trillion dollars to our deficit. And, it, you know, Rogart and Reinoff have studied it and written books about it and so forth. They've basically shown anytime a government gets this upside down, I mean, like in 20 out of the last 20 cases, when you have this much debt and you're running a, a negative, you're running a deficit of, say, 10 or 11 percent or more. We're not there yet, but we will be with this downturn you effectively you're guaranteed that you're either going to go bankrupt and default, or you're going to have to inflate it away. And, and the really, this, in both cases, they're the same thing. I mean, what I, what I think will happen is I think they will basically have to go to yield curve control. I mean, Japan has already done it. Yield curve control means that they'll say, okay, these bonds, you know, we're not letting them go any higher than three and a half percent, because if they did, that would be a problem. What that means is anybody who wants to sell us your bonds for a three and a half percent yield, will buy them. And eventually, the bond market's going to look at the Fed and go, you know what? Sold to you. You can have all of them. And so the Fed balance sheet, which is now about $9 trillion, it's going to go to 10, 15, 20, 25, 30. That's all just money out of thin air that they've created, or credit, I should say, out of thin air that they've created, put on the bank balance sheet. So, you know, and and at that point, everybody, I think, comes to the conclusion that they can't ever stop. And so, Remember that money is money is a collective delusion in the sense that money has value because we all agree it has value. I mean, in the U.S. case, it's because we have a military and a big country and we're productive and we have 200-year history, and theoretical rule of law, blah blah blah, which has all gotten very debased. But but still, there's a lot of resilient resiliency there, and so people think the dollar has value. But you know, it's it's not beyond the realm of imagination that eventually everyone could come to the conclusion that you know the U.S. government and the U.S. dollar. They're they're not they're not credit worthy. They're just not credit worthy. And so people will eventually get to this the point where they say, I've got to protect myself. And and that's that's the rush. That's where everyone makes that's that's the change. So so it's a psychological phenomenon, Q. It's you know, people have to come to the view that their dollars aren't gonna hold any value and they want out. And when that occurs, it's you know it's all over. It's all over for the dollar, and we'll have to do a monetary reset, and we will. You know that's that's what will happen next. We'll have a you know we'll probably do the right thing after everything else has been tried. We'll reset to a sound money standard. Hopefully, it'll be a Bitcoin standard. It might be they might try gold in the interim because of the history of gold and all the boomers believe in gold. But you know it, it's it you know or it could be a basket of commodities. There, there are a lot of ways of doing it, but you know we'll have to go back to a sound money standard because. This unsound money has effectively ruined the financial world, and the the event we're about to experience is going to be worse than you know what we saw in 2008 by by an order of magnitude, and it's it's probably going to be worse than what they saw in 29. So you know it's 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 not it's not a great situation to be honest with you. Uh, they've you know they they painted us into a corner and or they have painted themselves into a corner and. And we're all going to suffer as a result of their stupidity and a, and a broken system.
0: So, I'm going to play devil's advocate, and I have yeah. to caveat it by saying there is not a single thing, Lawrence, you have said that I disagree with. I've I've long believed that the next iteration of the dollar is some sort of a basket of basket of sound money, right. most likely gold with something else like Bitcoin involved and god knows whatever else they want to mix into that pot to dilute it. I want to however get your thoughts on just you know you brought up the fact that the US dollar is really backed by our military, but there's another thing in my opinion that really gives the dollar its strength and it's the fact that on the global oil market we we use the petrodollar system. Mm-hmm. We've started to see Putin really poke a hole in that and saying like don't give me any dollars. Give me anything but dollars and How did the ruble respond to that? It hit a five-year high after this announcement. So what's to stop these other oil-producing countries from not accepting dollars anymore, from saying, I want gold now instead? And what effect would that have on the dollar on a global stage if that were to happen?
1: Well, nothing's to stop it. And we already see it. I mean, you know, the, the, the Russians are taking rupees, Indian rupees, in exchange for oil. You know, they're, accept, they're accepting all currencies, really, other than the dollar. And, and that's going to continue. And it has to continue because the U.S. has used the dollar as a, you know, they've weaponized the dollar. I mean, we grabbed their reserves and, you know, we've made it very clear that, you know, that the dollar is, is our currency, but their problem. And, and they're going to say, fine you know we're not going to accept your currency anymore you know you want to do trade with us you got to give us something real and that's that's really what putin's move was he just he recognized that he had a piece of the puzzle and he he recognized that we had financialized the us has financialized the world for its own benefit for many many years and has been passing bad checks you know these 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 diluted dollars and he had you know he had the real stuff he has the physical and everyone thought well you know we can still bully this guy around cuz you know, what do they, what do they say? It's, you know, it, you know, it's, it's a, the place is a gas station, right? I mean, that's more or less what Russia is. And, and it's not, you know, it's, it, it, it's, you know, the, the resources they have are badly needed by the world. And he's basically just said, I'm not going to play by your rules anymore. And, you know, if you want the stuff I've got, you've got to pay me in something that I know will continue to have value because I'm not going to continue to accept this, this paper. That you've been putting out there he also knows how out over our skis we are in terms of how much paper we've created and how undervalued oil is and how undervalued gold is and so he's he's got both of those his country produces gold his country produces a ton of oil His country produces a ton of natural gas and so he's he's just said you know i'm not playing by your rules anymore and you know everyone i mean america being arrogant thought oh that's no problem i mean you know, he'll fall quickly. I mean, I, I remember the Wall Street. I talked to some guys on Wall Street. And they're like, oh, yeah, no, they're, they're, they're grabbing all those yachts so that the oligarchs will just overthrow him. Well, he's got great security. <laughs> and, you know, and they, they were like, he's not going to last and he'll fall apart and all this, that and the other. Well, you know, he's been doing reasonably well. And I'm not saying I like the guy. I don't think he's a particularly good guy. But in terms of the way he's played his hand here, you know, his, his cards, you know, he's not he's not losing. You know, Germany's in a shitload of, of, of you know, feeling a shitload of pain and they're going to feel a shitload more, you know, if they don't start, you know, playing more by his rules. And so, you know, that he's pointed out the cracks in the fiat system. And as a result of, you know, he's going to, he's going to change, he's going to change the way business is done and and he's already changed. It's going to change more. So your point about, you know, the dollar being, you know, the, the king and, and, and being the reserve currency of the world. Sure. I mean, 10 years ago, I think it was 95% of transactions in the world, no matter where you were, it was denominated dollars. I think that's down into the sixties now. I don't have the exact statistics, but it's fallen quite a bit. And I think it will continue to fall. I mean, they're talking about trying to do a BRICS currency. I mean, Look, they haven't done it. It's going to be hard to do this. You know, there, there are all kinds of problems associated with this. But I think it's very safe to say that, you know, there's been a, a very big question mark thrown into the, into the global economy about the soundness of the dollar and whether that's really the right basis on which to be doing trade. And so I think you're going to see, you know, I mean, just our, our, our grabbing his reserves was an enormous deal. Right, I mean, what do you think the Saudis are going to do? I mean, what do you think the Indians are going to do? What do you think uh, Brazil is going to do? I mean, any country in the world that you know runs a trade surplus, is, you know, and, and leaves it in the Western system is going to say to themselves, "Can they do that to us too if they don't like our politics?" You know, so so there's a lot of there's a lot of reasons why the dollar is slowly but surely losing its position, but. But these things don't happen overnight. I mean, it's going to take a few years, I think, to completely unfold. You know, the next two big trigger points, in my view, is gold's got to get through 2000 with authority and stay there. It's been there three times. It was there in 2011. It was there in summer of, or in uh, 2020, and it was there in, in, earlier this year. And now it's taking a big whack back. But when it comes back up and goes through that again, it'll be game on. And then I think I suspect when that happens, Bitcoin will follow soon thereafter and bitcoin will go to a new all time high. And I think those two things doing it will be your best indication. And and in the same in the same breath I think what will have happened is the bond market will have rolled over, interest rates will have continued to go up. That'll put the Fed in a very tough position where they're probably forced to implement yield curve control. And the economy will have rolled over and the stock market will have rolled over and so all that lost wealth will suddenly, you know, be making 1929 looked you know very comparable to the situation we're in today and you know at that point in time you know it's all bets are off who knows what happens i mean I, sadly in the past when these kinds of things have happened these kind of fourth turnings things at this level that's led to a war i'm hoping that won't occur this time but it, it's probably not unrealistic to think that it would occur so
0: what makes you say that that gold will sort of lead that that charge why, why would gold lead the charge versus well,
1: Bitcoin? Well, because it's, it's bigger and it's more fully distributed. You know, it's interesting. I, I think there's something that Bitcoiners don't really see because I, I have a couple of good friends that are, I mean, I, I'm very heavily Bitcoin. Don't get me wrong. I think Bitcoin wins. Okay. But, but I'm also in the gold business as well and gold stock investing. And 2018 was when gold started to move and it started to work and it could kind of smell what was coming. And so I, my fund had a really good year in 2019 when, you know, we were up 97% or something. And then in 2020, we were up uh, 120%, but in 20, you know, but throughout that whole time frame, if you look, go look at the chart of the price of Bitcoin from in 2019 and 2020, it was kind of stuck between five and 10, you know, it just kind of bounced around back and forth, back and forth. And then as you recall, in, in late 2020, it really took off like, you know, like a, a bat out of hell, and it went from you know five or ten up to fifty quickly. And but at that point in time, gold had already made its move, and gold kind of stalled out at twenty fifty. So my point is, I think, and and this is true. I've observed this having been an investor in the gold market for twenty years. Gold can look around. The gold smells what's coming, and it looks around the corner even before something happens. If the price of gold is going up, you know something's going to happen, and so it just tends to be more fully distributed and it, it tends to kind of be a good leading indicator of what's going on. And if, if the price of gold is going up, there's trouble somewhere coming. It's almost a guarantee. And so, and, and what I think is with the Bitcoin case, it came after the fact. So, you know, gold worked for two years. It went from 1365 into the 1900s and then 2000 in 2019 and 2020. Bitcoin was stuck for all of 2019 and the first three quarters of 2020. And then it exploded. To the upside so I, I just you know based on mac you know market patterns and the way things happen have happened in the past i tend to think that gold is going to lead this next upturn in the sound money category and 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 it's going to people in the bitcoin community are going to go hey what the hell's going on gold's working and our thing's not and then eventually gold's going to start to slow down and gold and bitcoin's going to come in it's just going to blow it away and you know so in my view in this next leg up gold will probably go up to 2500 to 3000 And Bitcoin is probably going to go to two hundred thousand, but I don't think Bitcoin's going to do the two hundred. I think Bitcoin's going to find a level around thirty or forty sometime in the next year or two, and and bounce around in there for a while, as gold continues to march. And then at some point, Bitcoin's going to go from forty to two hundred, just the way it went from ten to fifty, because that's the pattern it seems to follow. It it, you know basically, it'll it'll trade sideways for quite some time. And then suddenly, you know, everybody realizes what it is and it just takes off like crazy. And, you know, there's a fixed supply, right? That's the bottom line. There's a fixed supply. So that's kind of how I see it.
0: Interesting. I just want to. Sorry to cut you off, Pete. I want to remind everyone, I see a lot of people asking in the chats. We are five minutes away from the Fed minutes being released, and then we will get the official word on what these rate hikes are. Please, if you are not already, feel free to subscribe. Press the subscribe button down below. Um, Lawrence, I want to pose, unless you have more thoughts on the gold of it all, I wanted to pose a question now just about the, the possibility, again, playing devil's advocate here, not my personal yeah. belief, but the possibility that Somehow the Fed actually gets this right. (laughs) That, you know, a broken clock is right twice a day, and somehow Jerome Powell got it right. And in my opinion, I kind of think the scenario they need to get it right is actually a world war. Like we need to enter a full, full blown war to ramp up all of our production capabilities and in turn revitalize the economy. No different in the same way that we kind of got out of the Great Depression by getting so heavily involved in World War II. Do you think that's a legitimate thing that's being discussed?
1: Well, I don't think that, I wouldn't call that getting it right. I I think that, and I think, but I do think a war is a possibility. Yeah. It's, yeah, I I, I wouldn't, I I wouldn't, I, I think there's almost no chance the Fed gets it right here because I don't think they know what they're dealing with And I don't think, I I really don't think, I mean, the only way that they could quote unquote, get it right. And the odds of this are zero is they could, they could confess to what they've done wrong and they could do what Roosevelt did. And they could do a monitor. They could try and have like a Plaza core. They could do a monetary reset, right. And have another Bretton Woods and say, okay, look, we, we built up too much credit. We've, we've levered the thing up way too much. You know, the money's unsound. We all know it. It's all going to fall to to shit. You know, here's what we're going to do. We're going to, We're going to have you know five old dollars equals two new dollars and the new dollar is going to be backed by a basket of gold and bitcoin and oil or or whatever we're going to pick we're going to create a sound money standard on a go forward basis and we're going to migrate to that and there would obviously be winners and losers in that but on the other side of it we'd have a sound money which would lead to this kind of a problem this kind of you know uh, unsound money and and swings and credit creation and everything that we've had it wouldn't occur again and so so that's the correct solution. The odds that they choose that, I mean, they're zero. They're gonna they're gonna run the thing into the ditch, you know, one way or the other, either through hyperinflation, depression, or probably some combination of both. And then perhaps, yeah, we have a war to get us out of it or to or to end it with finality. Who the hell knows? I think war is a little harder. I mean, I so you know there are psychopaths in the world, and and there's no doubt that you know in a centralized world, you know, psychopaths can do a lot of he- you know damage. I mean you know, take, you know, Mao or Hitler or Stalin or anything else. I mean, I think we've evolved beyond that a little bit. And in the sense that we have nuclear weapons, you know, and even psychopaths don't want to blow each other up, you know, or end the world as we know it. So I I tend to think that, and and we all need each other in terms of supply lines and so on and so forth. I mean, we couldn't really even have a war with China right now because half the stuff we'd need to fight it, they produce. So, and I I think the Pentagon knows that. And in turn, I think, you know, they know that they've, they've got one hell of a social problem you know, if they don't, I mean, they've given their people a, a, a big, you know, I've, I've been to China many times, and they've given their people an enormous increase in living standards over the past 20 or 30 years, but those people are really appreciative of it and enjoy, and if suddenly that starts to go away, you know, they're not going to be happy campers either, and the Communist Party's not going to have as much power as it had. I mean, the the thing we're seeing going on, in my view, is we're we're going from centralized systems to decentralized systems. I mean, that's, you know, we reached peak centralization in the 20th century, Right. World War II was the, the culmination of, you know, we can kill 50 million people in five years. Wow, aren't we great? And, and since then, you know, everything is, we, you know, we, we've seen the diseconomies of centralization. I mean, centralization was great when Henry Ford figured out if I put people in a line, have them do the same thing over and over again, I can produce a ton of cars very cheaply, right? So, you know, centralization is bad when, you know, it, it gets so big, so sclerotic, so, you know, political, That, you know, and and so available to abuse that you can get a guy like a Hitler who can get control of a big industrial economy and decide to start killing people en masse. And so, you know, fortunately, we've got these two decentralizing trends, which I think are going to save the world. The first is the Internet and the second is Bitcoin. The Internet's going to save the world because it's made Joe Rogan more powerful than network news and the, you know, the entire, you know, the entire, you know, mainstream media. And, and it's allowed us all to share information. And then, you know, Bitcoin is important because it's, it's sound money that the government can't fuck with, you know, and, and gold money, gold was sound money that the government theoretically couldn't fuck with, but because it was, you know, centralized and kept in vaults and, and because they created paper gold, you know, they, they learned how to fuck with it pretty well. Because if, if gold were priced today, the way it was priced in 1971, it would be $80,000 an ounce and it's two. So they've done a pretty good job of suppressing the gold price. In order to keep you know their fiat system going and by the way they're going to try the same thing in bitcoin i mean there's a there's a futures market developing in bitcoin there's no doubt that there are projects within all of the governments that are in the fiat business to figure out how to how to grab and participate as much as possible in that futures market to discourage people from you know from buying bitcoin so you know it, it's it's tricky it's tricky but i but i think I think, you know, the thing that the people who run the system have is they've got a lot of the power, they got all the levers, they got a lot of money, and they're going to cheat. But the thing that we have is is we've got truth on our side, and there are a lot more of us than there are of them. And, you know, the pitchforks are going to come out. I mean, when things get pretty tough, you know, I wouldn't want to be them. I'd much rather be us. So, you know, it's, I, I, I think there is a good resolution to this problem, but that's not to suggest that it's just going to be a a walk in the park for the next five or 10 years as we solve it. I think it's going to be pretty fucking brutal.
0: Uh, Absolutely. Sorry to interrupt you guys. I want to make this as, as timely as possible. It is now made official that the fed yeah. is going to raise rates 75 basis points. Yeah, so this that. is in line with the market expectations. I'm keeping an eye on just, you know, the broader indices and it's been a green day and my expectation quite frankly going in today into today was so long as the market is not shocked, it will respond positively and then tomorrow when everyone wakes up and realizes what actually what a 75 basis point rate hike actually means. I expect more blood in the streets tomorrow. So, Lawrence, earlier you mentioned a possibility of a hundred basis point rate hike. I was kind of hoping for that, quite frankly. Where Where do you think? What are your initial thoughts? Hearing that it's now, yeah,
1: I'm rate? surprised. I thought it was gonna. I thought it was gonna go 100 as well. But you know, you just don't know. I mean, these guys, they, you know, and what what will actually matter more too is 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 the press the press conference. So you know, that's going to come out and. Half an hour, we're going to get a little bit more color on on what he's thinking. I mean, if he if he says they become data dependent, he might as well have said you know they're going to taper very soon. In which case, everything's going to rip to the upside: gold, silver, bitcoin, you know, the market, you name it. You know, we'll see. I mean, the the thing that's the thing that's so tricky about this whole problem and this whole issue is it's all iterative. I mean, they, you know, just like we do, they watch the markets, and if it, if they don't get the reaction they want out of all of these different statements and moves then they send guys out a a day later to start making statements you know that exactly um, or dovish to try and you know they're they're trying to try to manage the markets too i mean
0: it's all a narrative game
1: yeah to your point about you know can they stick the landing i mean yeah i mean look it's the it's theoretically possible that they can continue to kick the can down the road i mean they've you know i thought it was all over in 2008 so you know (laughs) i mean they've they've done a lot of can kicking and and they'll probably do some more can kicking. I mean, we know they're going to try. But, you know, with with every with every kick and every, you know, every problem that gets slightly larger and the, you know, the, as the credit gets bigger and bigger. I mean, look, we started off back in 2000 with a fed balance sheet of 800 billion dollars and now it's 9 trillion. You know, and and the next big mistake or blow up they're going to have. I mean, when when something occurs here, the market falls a lot or you know, Japan goes tits up or something else. I mean, you know, I mean, there's a possibility we're going to start buying Japanese government bonds to prevent Japan from failing. So, you know, the 9 trillion is going to become 13 and then the 13 is going to become 20. And, you know, eventually it's going to be a hundred trillion dollars and, you know, gasoline's going to be $15 a gallon, not five. So, you know, you, you can kind of see where this is going. What you don't really know is the slope and the steps. I mean, that's, you know, they, they, they do their best to, you know, to try and, you know, they're like I say, they're driving a clown car on an icy road and they've got the two guardrails. One's extreme inflation, the other's extreme deflation, and they're just trying to keep the car on the road. And so they'll, you know, they'll jawbone and do whatever they have. They, if it looks too deflationary, you know, they'll have a Plaza Accord or they'll do a Shanghai Accord like they did in 2016 when oil was 30 bucks and U.S. shale was going to go under. You Wait, know, what, can
0: you... What in was that specifically? Of- what was the accord?
1: Well, the Plaza Accord goes back even further, but the one, I w- the one that's really more relevant is the Shanghai Accord in 2016. I mean, in 2016, they had serious deflation; gold was down, everything was down, and it was a real, it was really a deflationary time. And they knew it, and they realized that if they didn't get some inflation going, get the animal spirits going, that you know they were going the whole entire U.S. shale industry was gonna fail. And so, you know, they, they basically went out and said, you know, we got to weaken the dollar and they took all kinds of actions in the FX markets to do so collectively. And, and that's the thing, the thing that we don't see and we don't know is we, you know, and, and, and they have, you know, they have a lot of, um, tools and they have a lot of offshore accounts and they have all the big banks to do their bidding for them. And so, you know, they, they basically will take steps as necessary to try and influence the markets if they think they've gone too far one way or too far the other way. And so, you know, we can count on that.
0: I want to read a couple more statements coming out of the minutes. And just a reminder, Powell has not yet started his press conference. That will be at 1130 Pacific, 230 Eastern time, setting up for September meetings that further interest rate hikes will be needed as inflation still runs high. The quote is in they anticipate that ongoing increases in the target range will be appropriate. So it looks like these rate hikes are not going to be slowing down. There were some expectations. I know yesterday we had a conversation with Ansel Linder about the possibility that they may just pause rate hikes. They may not increase. They may not decrease. From the sounds of this, from their own minutes, it looks like we're going to see another rate hike. We don't need to speculate on that, but I want to just get your sense of what what these repeated rate hikes could mean. I mean, the last time they really tried to do anything like this was 2018. The president at the time threw a little bit of a hissy fit and they reversed course very quickly. So right. what what do you think is going to happen? We're leading up to midterm elections. September, you're two months out from said midterm elections. So do you think there's going to be any influence by the president or just Congress in general to see any changes by the Fed's stance?
1: Yeah. So, so yeah, they they are political. I, I believe that. And I do think that there's a chance that they're going to feel pressure to do something before the election, you know, to pivot or to go the other direction. And yeah, they say, you know, they have to say they're going to do more rate hikes because the inflation problem really hasn't been fully addressed. Whether that really means they will do more rate hikes or not, who knows? You know, as we've seen, they can, they can change pretty quickly on a dime. So, you know, one of the things you alluded to is that something could break here And, you know, that to me is the interesting question. Is something going to break? I mean, you know, you're already kind of seeing things break. I mean, the Italian yields have have blown out. You know, the ECB had to have an emergency meeting to deal with that. Japan has had to spend huge amounts of money to, you know, do QE to keep their bonds in a fixed place. You know, they want to have their tenure at 25 basis points, which is ridiculous. I mean, the ECB just raised rates from minus rates to zero, you know, which... Is nuts and they committed that they're going to do unlimited QE as necessary. I mean, there's really no slowing down worldwide in the printing of money. It's just different countries take different leads at different points in time. I mean, right now in theory, the Fed is starting to have their balance sheet run off. We'll see there's a delay in the closing of the mortgages. So it hasn't started to fully show up yet. But but in turn, you know, the ECB and Japan are printing like crazy. So so there's always and the Euro market the Euro dollar market's a huge market. So there's always more money coming into the system to keep the system alive. So it's it's extremely hard to see you know what they're going to do next. It's just, in fact, it's impossible, and that's what makes it so hard for business people and others to efficiently allocate capital and do the right thing. I mean, we live in this you know this matrix, which is a hall of mirrors created by them, and so you know, to me, you know, the faster the system fails, the better, because we want to get to the other side. The other side has got a better system, but. Guys, I think I told you earlier I've got a hard stop. I got to go for another call that I'm running a little bit late on. So no,
0: no worries um, at all, Lawrence. Do you want to just quickly let everyone know where they can stay up to date with you on social? Yeah, socials?
1: so I'm on Twitter. So at Lawrence Lepard on Twitter, uh, and I you know tweet a lot. And then if you go to my website, ema 2 EMA2.com, there's a lot of free stuff on there. I quarterly reports, Bitcoin papers, macro stuff. It's all just free. It's, you know, I run a fund that, that invests in sound money things. So, you, you know, if you want to see what's going on, you know, in the fund or our views on things, it's, you can go to the website and check it out there. So, all right.
0: Thank awesome. you so much for joining us. Okay. This has been an guys. Conversation. Really
1: enjoyed it. I'm sorry I couldn't stay longer, but got to We're going to ping
0: you to have you come back, but thank you and keep doing all that you do, man.
1: Thank you. Take care. We'll
0: see you. Bye-bye. Adios.